Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and in this episode of I'm the Gun, I wanted to celebrate the United States of America's birthday with a look at a tomahawk story. I've always been fascinated with DC Comics' long-running frontier hero who debuted at the tail end of the golden age of comics, and still find this hard to believe, but for a short time, being featured simultaneously in three different titles, Star Spangled Comics, World's Finest, and his own title, which lasted 140 issues. I've always liked how Tomahawk's adventures straddle the line between Western stories and war stories, as Tomahawk was often seen on the front lines fighting for American independence, either solo with his companion-slash-sidekick Dan Hunter, or later on with his band of rangers. For a good chunk of the 1960s, Tomahawk stories even swerved into silly sci-fi, and you could find Tommy Hawk and his band fighting off all kinds of dinosaurs, giant gorillas, fish monsters. And there was a time when I found this idea, the idea of a revolutionary war hero fighting a giant alligator creature, just too silly. I had to suspend just a little too much disbelief. Uh, but that's old thinking. I've I've come around on these wacky wild stories, which were always featured on the cover. Hey, whatever sells the funny books. These wild sci-fi stories were always paired with a more traditional adventure story or two, and very occasionally, Tomahawk and Dan would meet figures from history, real people from the time of the Revolutionary War. George Washington popped up a couple of times. I've got one where they anachronistically share an adventure with a young Davy Crockett. And in the story I'd like to cover in this episode... Tommy Hawk and Dan meet another of the U.S.'s founding fathers, Thomas Paine. Paine was a poor English-born corset maker who found his way to the colonies, his head full of ideas about the relationship between England and its empire. And while these ideas weren't unique, they were beginning to be shared by quite a few colonists, from Massachusetts to the Carolinas. Paine had a flair for writing about these basic rights of man in a way that could connect with the people of his class, the farmers, shopkeepers, laborers. Being of these people, Payne could communicate with them in a way the more patrician members of the Rebel Alliance could not. People like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, the Adamses, and his, they call it a pamphlet, it's like a short work called Common Sense, an argument for American independence published right at the outset of the revolution, was read or heard by a large percentage of future freedom fighters. It was another kind of shot heard around the world. Payne convinced himself to join the Continental Army to experience firsthand what he had helped inspire, and it was while he was serving as secretary to General Nathaniel Green, who was born only about five miles away from here, where I record this in Rhode Island, and whose homestead and museum is basically just down the street. But it was during this time, pretty early on in the war, when things may not have been going so well, that Payne saw that the Continental Army, the American people, needed a little pick-me-up, a little morale boost. Maybe needed another dose of something like common sense. This kind of takes us right into the story I'll be covering here, The Midnight Ride of Tomahawk, the middle story found in Tomahawk number 70, cover dated October 1960. From a pamphlet, the first in the series called The American Crisis by Thomas Paine, written by him December 19, 1776. 
These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of his country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered, yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to set a proper price upon its goods. And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. Why is it that the enemy have left the New England provinces and made these middle ones the seat of war? The answer is easy. New England is not infested with Tories, and we are. And what is a Tory? Good God, what is he? I should not be afraid to go with an hundred Whigs against a thousand Tories were they to attempt to get into arms. Every Tory is a coward, for a servile, slavish, self-interested fear is the foundation of Toryism, and a man under such influence, though he may be cruel, never can be brave. Okay, the Midnight Ride of Tomahawk. I couldn't really nail down the creative team on this one, but I can say the art is unmistakably Fred Ray long-time tomahawk artist. This eight-pager, as I said, the middle story of the issue, whose cover feature is Secret of the Iron Chief, Tomahawk, Dan, and another frontiersman, the top of a stockade wall, rifles leveled at a giant Native American robot. One of the many wacky tomahawk ideas, which I'm sure just leapt off the newsstand at the time. Uh, but this story, The Midnight Ride, opens with a, a disillusioned American populace. Those reading the news of the latest British victory gather in groups and speak about now not joining up with the army. Spirits are down, recruitment is down, and this is the topic of conversation in the tent of aide-de-camp to General Green, Thomas Paine. And there, right there, Paine puts pen to paper, and writes the soon-to-be-famous opening line of a, a new pamphlet series called The American Crisis. These are the times that try men's souls. His comrades love it. They recognize the source of inspiration that this little pep talk in printed form can be. Trouble at this point would be distribution, especially getting into the hands of colonists, Americans, behind British lines. Someone, General Green, perhaps, pipes up. He knows someone, a man, and a boy, who may be able to help. Tomahawk and Dan Hunter are brought in to meet Payne. There's obviously some mutual admiration between the men, and they share it with a handshake. Then Tomahawk and Dan are off. They sneak a whole cartload of American crises past a British checkpoint. Dan hiding in the back while Tomahawk disguises himself as a pox-ridden junk salesman. British soldiers want no part of that. Pamphlets are delivered into friendly hands for distribution. Friendly native peoples will carry a load downstream in canoes. Other colonists will ride north and west. And it's up to Tomahawk and Dan they get the cush assignment to deliver their load through the eastern coastal towns. Wind of this new work by Payne reaches the British, and they realize, one, how powerful a weapon Payne's writing can be, and two, how they've already let it slip through their fingers. They double their efforts and send occupying soldiers into every town in the territory yet to be visited by Tomahawk. 
tomahawk and Dan see the occupying force. They come up with a plan to, to get past. They ride within range of the British rifles and feign being hit, falling off their horses. When the British pursue the horses, thinking these saddlebags are full of contraband propaganda, Tomahawk and Dan slip into the woods and down to the river, tightly wrapped packages under their arms. They find a couple of canoes and load one up. As this is British territory, where even the Indians are pro-British, Tomahawk and Dan suffer some bow and arrow fire as they disable the other canoes. And they just get away in time, paddling downriver to continue their mission. And we see the results of their work. Printed copies of this first installment of The Crisis find their way into the hands of lawyers, smiths, wheelmakers. Those copies are read, passed around, and inspire an enlistment spike. But what of those men already on the front lines? Morale is still low, until Tomahawk and Dan traipse into a Continental Army camp, spreading the word of pain, and lines like, If there be trouble, let it be in my day, that my child may have peace, seem to be just the medicine these beaten men need. A rousing chorus of Yankee Doodle erupts, and the soldiers at this particular site rally around Tomahawk and Dan and drive off the British. Tomahawk and Thomas Paine have one last panel to continue expressing their mutual admiration, stroking each other's ego, though Tomahawk gets the last word, saying Paine's words have proven mightier than any sword or gun. So a little bit of a cheeseball ending there, but really just perfect for a 4th of July read. And I don't think the importance of Paine's writings to the revolution effort can be overstated. The guy just had a knack for it kind of make a career out of it, going on to comment on the French Revolution as well in his work, Rights of Man. Paine would eventually alienate himself from most of his fellow American comrades, one of the reasons being his views on organized religion. He was not a fan. He also had an especially strong disregard for George Washington. But I kind of consider Paine something of a, a forgotten founder. He never held any elected office in the U.S. He doesn't appear on any currency here. And there has yet to be a, a breakout Broadway musical written about him, but the July 4th holiday is a, a great time, I think, to consider his influence on the founding of this country, his writings, which to this day remain pretty relevant, and his very brief foray into the wilds of the DC universe, which is fun. This story has never been reprinted. Uh, there are sadly not a ton of tomahawk reprints and absolutely no collections. Most reprints can actually be found in later issues of Tomahawk. I just try to buy up as much Tomahawk as I can afford, and I consider getting this issue, or any one from around this time, very early 1960s, for under 10 bucks. I'd consider that a, a good deal. Whoever wrote this, I like how they wove Tomahawk into actual historical events, or at least gave him a role in disseminating the American crisis, an actual historic document gave Tom and Dan their own little Paul Revere moment. And Fred Ray, to me, the definitive Tomahawk artist, though Frank Thorne draws a pretty kick-ass Tomahawk and crew. Fred Ray's work here in the story is great. There are a few painted portraits of Thomas Paine, and Ray's Paine looks enough like those to get by. 
is what I think might be Nathaniel Green is generic enough continental general to, to pass muster. And of course, his tomahawk is tomahawk. I'll be uh, putting up some images from the story on the show's accompanying blog. You can have a look at imthegun.blogspot.com. There you will also find some contact info should you want to talk tomahawk. My social media of choice is Twitter, speaking of which I want to catch up on some thank yous. Some folks uh, helped share my somewhat recent Wonder Woman post via Twitter. Those people were Andrea Jackson, Ange of the Supergirl comic box commentary, Bilal Larby, Chris of the Bat Books for Beginners podcast, Chris of Myth Making, etc., Chris Sheehan of the blog Chris's on Infinite Earths and the Cosmic Treadmill podcast, Daniel Navasunde, Joe Crawford of the Tumblr for the Non-Discerning Reader, Justice's First Dawn, Carl Disley, Kirk Spencer, Mark Danvers, Martin Gray, Matches Balone, Reggie from the Cosmic Treadmill, Scanner Drome, Sci-Fi Elements, Son of Cthulhu, Darren and Ruth Sutherland from Trekker Talk, Xenozoic Xenophiles, and Warlord Worlds, Wonder Woman Warrior for Peace, and Zach Sally. So thank you to those folks, and thank you for listening. Okay, that should do it for this shortish, 4th of July-ish special. Uh, to the Americans, happy 4th. And to everyone else, take care. Take care.